Welcome to True Spirituality Network. We are focused on spreading the gospel of God's love across the world. The Bible says, There is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out every fear. As you feed on God's love for you, allow His love to cast out every fear, worry, and anxiety. God loves you. In Jesus' beautiful name, I'll be prayed. And let God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right, and if you're just joining us for the first time, this is True Spirituality Networking. On this platform, we emphasize the love of God. We talk a lot about the love of God. And we've been on a series for the past few days. And this is going to be the fifth session. Um, if you're listening to this for the first time, or if you listen to this by the means of podcast, um, this is the fifth session in the series of the book of Revelation. So that literally means you have to catch up with the past four sessions to be able to understand where we are coming from and then to understand where we are and then you'll be able to understand where we are going. And so we started from the book of Revelation chapter one and then today we'll jump to Revelation chapter four. And, but before we do, uh, one of the things I also try to do from time to time before we see what each chapter of the scripture says is we, to an extent, there are so many questions people have in their mind and there are some concerns we have in Christianity that people have questions about. And I have decided to talk about the concern of breaking of bread what we call holy communion and to show you what the scripture says about holy communion and then we'll just see what the scripture says about it in a few minutes and then we can jump into revelation chapter four so very quickly let let, let everybody just fly to the book of first corinthians chapter 11 first corinthians chapter 11 thank you jesus so i'm going to start reading from verse 27 and I'm going to stop at verse 29. First Corinthians 11, starting from verse 27, stopping at verse 29. The Bible says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I'm reading NKJV, I believe. And verse 28 says, let a man examine himself so that so so let him eat the bread and drink the cup verse 29 says for he who eats to eat and drink in an unworthy manner eat and drink judgment to himself not discerning the lord's body uh, many years ago i used to attend a particular denomination whereby it is only a few set of people that are allowed to partake in the body and the blood of Jesus. It is only a few set of people that are allowed to take Holy Communion. And, you know, Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 22, 
I believe, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And But in this particular denomination, and I know this still happens in a couple of places, this may still happen in your church, And but I just want to show you what the scripture says about this. And this scripture is one of the scriptures they use to make us understand even, okay, so the, the real picture is only a few of us are qualified to partake in Holy Communion. That's what they say. And then in my family, my parents, my younger brother, my older sisters, I was the only one in my family <laughs> that always partake in Holy Communion because before you could qualify to start partaking in Holy Communion, you have to go to so many classes and then have your baptism. After baptism, you take, I know there's a kind of long classes you have to take before you now, if you now graduate, then you can now start partaking in Holy Communion. And that, 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 that was the denomination I used to attend many years ago. And then even that communion, we have it once a month. And then at that time of the month, what, what is being done is that the, the, when it's time for communion, the door of, of all the church, of the church is being locked. All the doors are locked. All the windows are closed. And then, then it's just us that have passed through that classes that stays in the church. And it's even for those of us inside, as at that time, before they give us the bread and the wine that signifies the body and the blood of Jesus, they always tell us that before you partake, make sure you are worthy enough to partake. And they, they give us a sense of, because if you partake and you have done any mistakes in the past or you have any or any weakness, or you think you're not worthy, do not partake. And long story short is, so even among those of us that have been able to go to the religious um, religious study or the religious, um, what's it called? The religious um, classes to be able to partake, even among us, they still make us feel as if you are not fully, fully, fully worthy yet. Check yourself, are you worthy? But you know what the scripture says here is completely different from being worthy or not being worthy. Because the truth of the matter is, without the blood of Jesus, none of us is worthy. With the blood of Jesus, we are all worthy to come boldly to the throne of grace. So the blood of Jesus has qualified us. So what I'm trying to make you understand is, if you're born again, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you are already purified, you're already justified. And Jesus has qualified you with his blood. There is no segregation anymore for the believer. We are all one in Christ. We are all complete in Christ. If you're born again, you are not trying to be complete. You have already been made complete in Christ. So it is not maybe someday, maybe in the future, you'll be complete. No. From the day you got born again, you're already complete. You're already made righteous. The believer is not trying to be righteous it is not maybe someday in the future hopefully i make it lord please i want to be righteous that's not scripture the believer is not trying to be righteous the believer has been made righteous even from the day he or she gave his life to christ so my point is what does the scripture says in first corinthians 11. so let's take a closer look the scripture didn't say he who is on what you should not partake because if it says that, literally no one is worthy. 
it's like this event that happened later in the book of Revelation chapter 5, which you get there by next week, where the Bible says, who is worthy to open up the seals thereof? And there was no one who was worthy in heaven and on earth except the Lamb of God. Only Jesus is the worthy Lamb. is the only worthy person. So let us see what the scripture says. A closer look is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible says, verse 29 says, For he will eat and drink in an unworthy manner. The Bible didn't say he who is unworthy drinks judgment upon himself. No. The Bible says when you eat in an unworthy manner, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. The Bible didn't say he who is unworthy drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What the scripture says is he who eats in an unworthy manner. When you eat in a manner that is not worthy, the Bible didn't say if you think you are not worthy, don't come. It's two different things. So what the scripture is trying to say is when you want to partake, you must partake worthily in an in a worthily or in a worthy manner. Yeah, I think that sounds good. And what does that mean? The same scripture says, discerning the Lord's body. So the Bible says, for he will eat and drink in an unworthy manner, eat and drink and to oneself. And what it means to partake in an unworthy manner is when you don't discern the Lord's body. So what does the body of Jesus represent? The body of Jesus speaks about the fact that all your sickness has been taken on the body of Jesus. The believer today is not trying to be healed. You've already been made healed in Christ. Jesus himself took your infirmity. By his stripes, you've been made healed. He took your corona on his body. He took your malaria on his body. He took your cancer on his body. So you can never be sick. If the doctor gives you any report about your health, that you have one sickness, then you have to come back to the word of God and remind yourself that Jesus actually took that sickness on his body. He took all the sickness in the world for you, including the ones that the world is yet to discover. So you can never be sick because Jesus took your sickness. That's you discerning the body of the Lord, that the body of Jesus was broken so that your body can be put together. Hallelujah. And what does it mean to discern the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus speaks about our total forgiveness in Christ, that all of your sins are forgiven. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, not for the remembrance of our sins, not for the consciousness of our sins. When you think about the blood of Jesus, think about total forgiveness. I know sadly, most of the time, an Abbey believer says things like, I plead the blood of Jesus. And we don't even know what the blood is for. The Bible says if you want to partake in the blood of Jesus, if you want to think, talk about the blood, then you must take, you must partake in a worthy manner. That means discerning the Lord's body, discerning the blood of Jesus. You think the blood of Jesus, think total forgiveness. All of your sins have been forgiven. They have been wiped away. God does not remember your sins anymore. In the sight of God, you are blameless, you are spotless, you are unreprovable. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no more enmity between you and God. You can rest now because of the blood of Jesus. So when you think Holy Communion, you want to partake in the bread and the wine, because we do this every Monday in True Spirituality Network. And we don't say some people are worthy, some people are, no, no, no. 
every born again believer is worthy because the blood of Jesus made us worthy. There is no discrimination among us. When we come around, we remind ourselves, we partake in a worthy manner by reminding ourselves, by discerning the body and the blood of Jesus. And what does that mean? By reminding ourselves that the body of Jesus was broken so that our body can be put together. And by reminding ourselves that the blood of Jesus was shed for the total forgiveness of our sins. And that's what it means to discern the Lord's body. So the scripture didn't say it was unworthy, should not partake. Because the blood of Jesus has made us all worthy, every believer. But the scripture says, don't partake in an unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body. So we need more teachers to teach what the blood and the body of Jesus represent. So that God's people can discern what it represents before they partake. So that the average believer will not just partake. For example, you can't just finish partaking in the blood of Jesus and still not know that all your sins are forgiven. You need to be rightly taught that all your sins are forgiven. And that makes you partake the blood of Jesus by discerning the body and the blood. Hallelujah. So that's what it means. So it doesn't mean that you should segregate some people, some people should not eat, some people should eat, some people are worthy, some people are not worthy. That's not what the scripture means. The scriptures actually say we should remind ourselves of the fact that the body of Jesus speaks about our total healing and the blood of Jesus speaks about our total health. Hallelujah. Sorry, blood of Jesus speaks about our total forgiveness. Hallelujah. All right, are we ready for the word of God? Let us find to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. From Revelation chapter 1, it spoke more about what John saw. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 spoke more about what the things that were happening. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19, the Bible says, Write ye the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which are to come. So Revelation chapter 1 is a picture of what John saw, a description of Jesus. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks about the things which were happening at that time. And we're able to see what Jesus wrote to the seven churches. Revelation chapter 4 starts the journey of the things that will happen afterwards. And the amazing thing is, this is the third division of the book. The first sessions are the things which John saw. The second sessions are the things which are. And the third session are the things which will happen after this. And we're going to start seeing that from Revelation chapter 4. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Revelations chapter 4. Are you ready for the word of God? Revelations chapter 4. I'm going to read NIV. It says, After this, John writes, I looked, and there before me was a door standing standing open in heaven let me read let me read this the version i have actually to make it more easy okay it says after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice i heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i'll show you what must take place after this and verse 2 says at once I was in the spirit, and death before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby 
a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Okay, Revelation chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 3. So by the way, it started by making us understand, after this I looked. The event that John began to see from Revelation chapter 4 speaks about, shows us a throne in heaven. Speaks about the things that would happen in heaven. And to be more specific, from Revelation chapter 4, it began to speak about what will happen after rapture. From this time, John began to write, the believer is no longer unhurt. Rapture, this is, this, these are the events that start, that began to unfold after Jesus already came for his bride. After there was rapture already. We are no longer unhurt after this time because the, the church was not mentioned anymore. From Revelation chapter 4, the church was no longer mentioned. And so the Bible said, after this, after this. So the event John started seeing from chapter 4 speaks about a number of things that even the church will see at the end of the world. When Jesus comes back in the beauty of his holiness, this world will come to an end and Jesus is coming for you and I, the believer. And we already established that no believer will miss rapture. If you're born again, John 3, 16 is clear. For God so loved you so much, or for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you're born again, if Jesus is to come now, you are going with him now. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 puts it this way. It says, but we who are alive and will remain, will be caught up with Jesus, and in the twinkle of an eye, will be transformed, will put on a new body. I'm rephrasing and so when jesus comes for us and then we are caught up with him and then we are ready with him seated with him at the right hand of the father john began to see the event that will happen in heaven so we want to see that's this is very important you understand all the events that will happen after rapture because it was immediately after this event that unfolds the tribulation that will happen and hurt. This is why I'm taking time to establish that from Revelation chapter 4, we are already raptured with Christ and we're already seated at the right hand of the Father, literally this time. And Jesus has already given us a new body. So we are now seated, literally. I know the book of Ephesians says we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. That's our spiritual location. As I'm preaching right now, as you're listening right now, as you're seeing this right now, you are, if you're born again, you're seated in Christ in the heavenly places. It's in the spirit right now, in the spirit. But however, when Jesus comes back right now, it will be literal. It will be literal sitting because when he takes us automatically and we are transformed, we will literally physically sit down and his throne will be with him forever. That's how the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 put it. So I'm just trying to say, so everything John saw from chapter 4 are the things we, are, we every believer will see at the end of the world. And then from chapter 5 was where Jesus began to open the, open the seals, unveil the scroll, open the seal, 
and we all witness these things in heaven no believer will be unhurt because the unfolding of the seals is the beginning of judgment unhurt the judgment of the believer is in the past the judgment of the unbeliever is in the future so when judgment begins to come on the hurt tribulations begin to happen you and I, the believer will not be unhurt so for a start that's pure goodness right you know over the years i've seen so many a couple of drama a couple of uh, movies who claims to be gospel movies on on the book of revelation and and the tribulation that will happen after this world comes to an end and sadly sadly too most of the time when they portray this event they always portray it as if christians will still be here on earth that is not scripture there is no believer no christian that will experience the tribulation that will happen on earth every one of us every believer sorry i'm using the word christian i mean every believer once you believe in jesus if jesus comes it will come for you first and then we will be transformed and no single believer will miss that rapture event we'll all rapture with jesus we'll be in heaven we will rapture with christ and then it is after that time revelation chapter 4 revelation chapter 5 who witness it in heaven and then before the tribulation begins to happen unhurt so I'm, I'm taking time to explain this because this is very important so there will be tribulations on heart yes and we'll read it in time to come but you will not be on heart as at that time you will be in the bosom of jesus you will be with jesus in the heavenly places and then you'll be glad that you were born again you'll be glad that jesus will redeemed you you understand the mystery of John 3, 16. For God so loved you, he gave you Jesus. And then you believe, and then you shall never perish. You shall never go to any tribulation. Because Jesus took all your tribulation on his body, on the cross of Calvary. Isn't that awesome? So do you, do you get the idea right now? So it's very important to understand this. Very, very important. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 4 again. Let's read. So John said, after these I looked, and there before me was a standing, was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, "Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this." So after rapture, these are the events that that John began to see. Verse two says, "At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it." So there was someone sitting on the throne in heaven. Let us see what happened. Verse three, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne the best way to interpret the book of revelation actually the best way to interpret any place in the scripture is to see it from the light of the finished work of christ if you don't interpret the book of revelation specifically there are some books in the scripture if you don't see it from the lens of the finished work of christ you you will interpret it the wrong way you know i've taken time to explain this idea that the whole scripture points us to christ and what christ has done for us i've taken time to explain this but if you're joining us for the first time let me still do this again for two minutes the whole scripture is centered around one man his name is christ jesus in fact the book of luke chapter 24 Verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he, talking about Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, about himself. Jesus explained to these two guys on their way to Emmaus everything in the scripture written about himself. The old scripture points us to one man. The story of Joseph points us to Christ, points us to Jesus. It is not a story to form the five P's of success. Number one, Pete. I know you have a dream. Your dream can go through Pete. At times it goes through prison, but don't give up. No, that's not the reason why the book of Joseph or the story of Joseph was written. The story of Joseph unveils Christ. Joseph was loved by his father. It's a picture of Jesus being loved by his father. Joseph was sold and betrayed by his brother. Jesus was sold and betrayed by Judas, his brother. It's a picture. Joseph was thrown into the prison and into the pit precisely for a start. It's a picture of Jesus dying for us and going to the pit, to the underworld for you and I. And then at the end of the trial, Joseph was brought out of prison and then he was made to sit down at the right hand of fire. And it's a picture, or better, he was made to sit down at the right hand of the king. It's a picture of Jesus raised from the dead by the king of all the kings, by God himself. And God made him sit at his right hand. And in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph brought his brothers into his inheritance so that where he is, they can be also. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for you and I. That when he was raised from the dead and was glorified, he brought you and I who believed. He brought us to where he is. So Jesus told Mary, he said, Mary, don't touch me yet. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father. He said, but go and tell my brethren. After that time, go and tell my brothers. Jesus brought us to where he is. So the story of Joseph is not any story to motivate you. It's not the story of making you feel as if, so I know you have a dream. Huh? Your dream will go through five Ps, prison pit, palace, all of those rubbish. No, it points us to Christ. That is the only way you can get your faith edified, your faith built up. The story of Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says that God told Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. It wasn't talking about Isaac literally. It was talking about Jesus. That a time will come that God will take his son, one, his only son, two, whom he loved. So it's all pointing us to Christ. Because the irony is, in Genesis 22, Abraham had two sons at that time. He had Ishmael and Isaac. But God told Abraham, give me, take your son, your only son. So it was definitely not talking about Isaac. It was talking about Christ. In Genesis chapter 24, it's a picture, you know, we all know that story whereby Abraham told the servant to go get a bride for the for for his son Isaac. And then the son and the servant went on a journey to look for a bride for the son of Abraham. I know we use it for relationship. I've preached on it before from a relationship perspective, but you know now. Interpreting the scripture from the finished work of Christ and make you understand that all scriptures point to Christ. If you want to interpret the story of Abraham sending his servant to look for a wife for his son Isaac, and then they found Rebecca, it's a picture of God 
preparing you and I, the bride, for the second coming of Jesus, his son. So that is why Isaac didn't follow um, the servants to look for a wife. Isaac was, seat, was at home. He was seated. He was resting while the servant was preparing Rebecca for the bridegroom. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit here on heart preparing you and I for the for the scene face to face, for the marriage supper of the Lamb, for the wedding day between us, the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. My point is, I can give you almost every scripture. In Genesis chapter 7, Noah's heart is a picture of Jesus Christ. Every scripture points us to Christ. Give me scripture to an extent that I can make you understand. They are pointing to one person, Christ. It is not to form principles. I've made a teaching before on the book of Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, it has all names, names, and somebody begat somebody, and somebody begat somebody. If you have time, you can just have this as a reference. Google Genesis chapter 5 by Akeyeminka. I taught on it, a one-hour teaching on it, to prove to you that the meaning of all the names still point us to Christ. I was able to arrange it for you to just make you understand. All scripture is pointing to one man. His name is Jesus. So the best way you can interpret the scripture is to interpret it from the finished work of Christ or understand that they are all speaking about one person. Even in the book of Psalms, for example, Psalm 22 says, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a punchline Jesus gave on the cross of Calvary. So David was giving a prophetic psalm, a psalm of the Messiah. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says the chastisement of a priest, peace was upon him, and by his stripes he be made healed. And he himself took her infirmity. Even at that time, Jesus hasn't died. Again, the old scripture speaks about one person. His name is Jesus. Even in the book of Esther, it all speaks about Jesus. It speaks about Jesus. The, the, um, the Jews and then Esther, all of them, they went on three days fasting, fasting and prayer, as it was. And then Esther invited the king for a banquet, a banquet of wine after the third day. It's a picture of Jesus dying, shedding his blood for us. And then after the third day, God will raise him from the dead. So Esther, after the third day of fasting prayer, invited the king to a love banquet. And then they were able to come to a point. And then it was that meeting that brought about the deliverance of the Jews in the book of Esther. And it was because Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Jesus has been justified. He has been glorified. He brought about the deliverance of God's people, of you and I who believe. So the Bible says, upon one Zion, there shall be deliverance and holiness. Jesus is that deliverer in the book of Abadiah. I can give you almost every scripture. In the book of Exodus, the Bible spoke about the fact that it was until after all the firstborn in the land of Egypt were slaughtered, were killed. That was when um, the king, Pharaoh, allowed the children of Israel to be set free. It's a picture of Christ, the firstborn of God himself. It was the moment he was slain, the Lamb of God, that you and I today, we got translated from the king of darkness to the kingdom of his dear Give me scripture. I'm trying to make you understand your point to Christ. In the book of First Samuel chapter 17, the battle between David and Goliath, it's a picture of Christ. 
that when David won Goliath, the children of Israel does not need to fight anymore. It all points us to Christ. When Christ defeated, defeated sin and sickness and death and hell on your behalf, you don't need to fight anymore because your representative has fought and he won on your, on your behalf. This is why Jesus' victory is our victory. We are more than conquerors today. We don't have to fight because Jesus, the true David, the real picture of David, has fought on our behalf. I can give you every scripture and make you understand they were all speaking about Christ. So if you understand this, it becomes easy for you to interpret the book of Revelation from the finished work of Christ. So in the Bible, for example, in verse 3, the Bible says, And the one who sat there had an appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and cycled the throne. So John saw a rainbow. A rainbow, I think that's familiar. We can interpret a rainbow from the lens of the finished work of Christ. Scripture must interpret scripture. A rainbow actually points us to God's mercy and God's love. In the book of Genesis, I'll take you back to the book of Genesis. Let's quickly find the book of Genesis to see more about what a rainbow is. Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 8. From verse 8, Genesis chapter 9. The Bible says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the white animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12, And God said, This is the first sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. So rainbow, the first time rainbow was mentioned was during the time of Noah. God was giving him a sign of his covenant. God said, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of the earth. Whenever the rainbow appears, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. Again, whenever the rainbow appears. So every time you see the rainbow in the sky, it's not just to see the beauty of it. It is to remind yourself, wow, this is the covenant God made with Noah that he will not destroy the heart again. Now, again, keep that to heart. And then let's see, let's see what Isaiah chapter 54, verse 9 and 10 talked about. Isaiah chapter 54, you have to be very fast. <laughs> verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, to me, listen everybody, this is like the days of Noah, the place you just read in Genesis, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you. Everybody listening to this, listen to what God said. God said, the same way I swear to Noah that I will not destroy the earth, the same way I am swearing that I will never be angry with you, nor rebuke you again. When you see the rainbow, 
It's a picture of God's love and grace towards you. It's to remind you that God can never be angry with you again. If you can understand this as a believer, that God is not mad at you. Rather, he is mad, madly in love with you. God is not mad with you. He is madly in love with you. If you can understand this, blessed are you. This is one of the things that sets me free. I just understood that God is not mad at me. He loves me. So God said, the same way I swear to Noah, by showing him my rainbow, I will never be angry with you. Verse 10 says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfading love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Hallelujah. So new covenant mentality is the rainbow mentality. When you see a rainbow in the sky, or you are reading your Bible in the book of Revelation, and the Bible talks about rainbow, is to, to remind you it's a picture of God's love and mercy towards you, reminding you that he's not angry with you. That he, there was a time he actually swore that he would never be angry with you. So when you are in your walk with God, if you feel as if God is mad at you, that is not God. That is a feeling that is not from God. So you should remind yourself, no, there's therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. God is not angry with me. He already promised and he swore that he will never be angry with me. So John saw a rainbow in heaven and it's a picture, it's a type that the covenant of God remains forever. The covenant of God about the fact that he will never be angry with you again remains forever. Don't you just love this Jesus? Don't you just love this Jesus? So God has promised he will never be angry with you again. Don't allow the devil to play your mind. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. You know, over the years, I've been preaching the love of God. This statement I just said right now, it's one of the statements I've said, and it has set a lot of people free. Because another person thinks God is mad at him. When things are not going well in his life, he thinks maybe it is God punishing him for what he did wrong in the past. At times, another believer is expecting something bad to happen in the future because of the mistakes he's make, he has made. In the past but you know god doesn't keep record of sins glory to jesus god doesn't keep record of your sins the bible says in the book of hebrews chapter 8 god said i will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins i will remember no more if god no longer remembers your sins stop remembering them jesus took the punishment of your sin so no judgment can come upon you you are not condemned he who the son has set free is free indeed Hallelujah. So walk in the liberty and the dominion God has given to you. Walk in the freedom and in the clear conscience. You should not walk in the consciousness of your sins. Walk in the consciousness of your righteous identity in Christ. You've been made righteous. You've been declared righteous. You are the righteousness of God through Christ. Don't allow yourself to go back again to sin consciousness. Focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Focus on the rainbow to remind yourself that the covenant of God stands sure. And if God says he will never be angry with you, you believe it. Hallelujah. So Revelation chapter 4, let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Surrounding the throne were 24 elders. So it were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders that were dressed in white. And had crowns of gold on their head. So the Bible introduced a set of people called 24 elders. I'm going to come back to come and explain who the 24 elders are. But let's go to verse 5. Verse 5 says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, 
rumbling and peals of thunder. In the front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. I've explained this already. It doesn't literally mean one, two, three, four. Seven spirit of God means the perfect spirit of God. And it's making reference to the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Excuse me. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. In front and in back. By the way, the Bible says they had eyes in front and in back. It's just a picture of um is an is is a picture of being able to see both the past and the present at the same time. That's it, they have eyes covered in front and back. Don't in your mind start imagining a creature who has eyes in the front and in the back at the same time. You start imagining what they call a zombie. Don't imagine. It's just a picture, a figurative picture, a symbol, symbolic way of saying this creature can see the past and the present at the same time. Hallelujah. So the Bible says in verse 7, the first living creature was like, you see, it's always like, was like a lion. Don't start picturing, okay, one, a lion, and then what's like. This is more like, um, is it a metaphor? Simile is, okay, you know, it's been a long time. I'm trying to remember simile metaphor, which of them it is. But anyway, <laughs> so the Bible says it was like a lion. The second was like an horse, ox. The third had the face like, you see, it's always like, like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wing. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and his and is to come. The Bible says, whenever the living creatures, I mean, verse 9 now, Whatever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns. So these 24 elders have crowns. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things and by your will they were created and after being hallelujah so this is a picture of what john saw in heaven a descriptive picture of what john saw in heaven he saw four living creatures and he saw 24 thrones and of the 24 thrones he saw 24 elders so let us take a deeper look into what these creatures might represent and what these 24 thrones or 24 elders my represent. I hope you still have your pen and your book. Now, by the way, for a start, I once upon a time, um, I made a series on the book of Matthew. I made a series on the book of John. Each chapter on the book of John, I have the podcast online. If you if you're looking for a time to study the book of John or the book of Matthew, I mean each chapter, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, to chapter twenty-eight or thereabout. The book of John, I've taught on each chapter before. All of these things were last year, actually. If you joined us last year, you, you will join us. But if you didn't, I want to catch up with it. Just Google any chapter. Just type, for example, John chapter 1 by Akimika. John chapter 2. Google it. It will give you the link. 
you'll be able to listen to the message, full message. But anyway, I know when I was teaching on the book of John, for example, I took time to explain these four faces, four living creatures we represent. The Bible says the face of one looks like that of a lion, and that face looks like that of an ox, and that looks like that of man, and that one looks like that of the Hebrew. Now, these are pictures. They will represent something. You see, the book of Matthew, book of Mark, Luke, and John, they are the four Gospels. So these four living creatures will represent something. So, for example, in the book of Matthew, Jesus was portrayed. Listen, everybody, very important. Jesus was portrayed to us in the book of Matthew as the king of the Jews. Remember the wise men in the book of Matthew chapter 2? The Bible says they went to um, Herod and then they were asking, where is he born, the king of the Jews? That punchline is the book of Matthew. Where is he born, the king of the Jews? In Matthew chapter 1, it started with geneal genealogy. He said the, um, the, um, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then the Bible began to show us the lineage of Jesus. As a king, Jesus was portrayed as the king of the Jews in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews and Jesus was portrayed to them as the king of the Jews. He was not born to be a king. He was born as a king. He is the king of the Jews. That's what the wise men were asking. Where is he born? In Matthew 2, the king. You can look for that verse yourself. I'm quoting this things often. The king of the Jews. And that means if Jesus is the king, and the Bible says one of the first creatures as, was like that, as an image, as a face of like that of a lion. The lion is the king of all the animals. So it's a picture. It's a symbol. I'm just trying to make you understand all these things still point to Christ. So the Bible says the first creature has a face like that of a lion. It's a picture of Christ, the king, representing Jesus as a king. This is not a milk message. Just feed on it. It's a meat message. Now, the second creature has the face that looks like that of an ox. And the book of Matthew, Mark, the next is Mark. Mark portrays Jesus as, a, as an ox. Listen. Not Jesus is not a hawk. He was being portrayed as a worker. If you read the book of Mark, take your time to study these things. I'm saying that's why I'm taking time to explain it. You will see that throughout the book of Mark, starting from chapter one, he talked about so many things Jesus did. How he kept healing people and healing people. In fact, it's in the book of Mark you keep hearing things like and Jesus went and 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 and. There were so many and talking about what Jesus did again and what he did again in just Matthew chapter 1. It has so many verses and all the verses were telling us about, most of the verses were telling us about what he did. After I finished doing something, again, you go to another place to go and heal and then and, 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 and. Showing us the fact that Jesus kept walking and walking like, in quote, an ox. It was the tireless walk. So Jesus was portrayed as a king in the book of Matthew, king of the Jews. In the book of Mark, Mark wrote more about what Jesus did. So Jesus was portrayed as a servant, as a, an ox. Remember, Jesus said, I don't just come to, serve, to be served as a king. I also come to serve. He came to serve. And it was shown at the point when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, when he began to heal the sick. And he healed so many people. All that were oppressed. Everybody brought to him, Jesus healed them all. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, portrays Jesus as a man. The phrase, 
the son of man, the son of man was used much more in the book of Luke. And this third creature, the Bible says, had the face like that of a man. I'm explaining Revelation chapter 4, verse 7. The third creature has a face like that of a man. So Jesus, the son of man, the son of man was used much more in the book of Luke. And lastly, the Bible says the fourth was like a flying eagle. In the book of John, Jesus was portrayed as the flying eagle. And what does that mean? It portrays, it started by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Portrays Jesus as the flying eagle, who has no genealogy. Almost as if the eagle just fly, and then he began to leave. And it's a picture, Jesus unveiling himself as the son of God in the book of John. But it started by saying, in the beginning was the word. Long story short is these four gospels, these four faces represent, speaks about the four gospels and the and the um, unveiling of Jesus from the fourth, four, four Gospels, their faces represent. The book of, of Revelation is the book of symbols. If you're able to digest that or not, it's okay. Just take it as a seed. But I want to show you one more thing and then wrap it up. 24 elders. We have so many songs we sing that is centered around 24 elders. So we know what I'm talking about. We have so many songs centered around 24 elders. I know some of you right now, you literally think there are 24 elders right now in heaven. Like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then cut on to 24. But I want to show you what the scripture or what the 24 elders will represent from the scripture. Don't forget. Don't forget. The 24 elders, if you tell me they are right now in heaven, the event John is seeing was an event that will happen after this. That's why I said I explained chapter, um, verse 1. Verse 1 says John should write the things that will, that will happen after this, after rapture. So you, if you tell me the 24 elders are already in heaven, you are seeing 24 elders that won't be seen until when the rapture happen. Okay, let me explain that again. The 24 elders were not unveiled, were not spoken about until after Jesus told John to write the things that will happen after this world. So who are the 24 elders? Who are the 24 elders? Everybody, there are so many commentaries about who the 24 elders may represent. Again, forget you counting them 24, 1, 2, 3, 4 in your mind. There are not 24 of them. <laughs> the 24 elders is a picture, it's a symbol. It will represent 24 tribe of people, 24 set, 24 uh, divisions of people. So it's not literally talking about 1, 2, 3, 4, 24. But who are these 24 elders? Who do they represent? Um, if you have your Bible, I have to give you this, the best commentary I've ever read on the on Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. Everybody, if you have your Bible, if you have the Passion Translation of the Bible, or if you have your phone and you can open another tab while you're listening to this, I want you to Google Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, the Passion Translation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, TPT. Click on it. And then let us see what Revelation chapter 4 verse 4, TBT version says. If you see Revelation chapter 4 verse 4, 
TPT version, scroll down, there's a commentary part that addresses who these 24 elders might be. So I want to show you what it says. I have it here on my hand, but I want you to also read it on your end. It says, scholars are divided over who these 24 elders are. Listen, either, number one, the union of Jew, 12 tribes of Israel and the church, 12 apostles of Jesus. Number two, a rank of heavenly beings serving as God's cabinet officers. Number three, a symbol of the 24 prophetic books of the Old Testament or four actual council of elders, believers, who are subordinates to God but ruling with authority and wisdom. They are enthroned and have crowns which would speak of regal authority made up of overcomers from among the community of the redeemed. The 24 elders are robed in Christ's righteousness, white garment, and told with him, Ephesians 2, verse 6, Revelation 2, 21, and crowned with glory. So this is the commentary of, of the Passion Translation on who the 24 elders might be. So they are not 1, 2, 3, 4, 24. They, are, they represent a, a particular division. And because scripture must interpret scripture, to an extent, interpreting the scripture from the finished work of Christ, these 24 elders, I strongly believe, speaks about you and I. It speaks about the 12, 12, 12 tribe or 12 division. For example, let's go back to the first, first commentary. It says the union of Jew, 12 tribe of Israel, listen, and the church, 12 apostles. Now, the union of Jews and the Gentiles. I strongly believe these 24 elders is a picture of you and I in heaven. These 24 elders will represent you and I in heaven. I can explain this in so many ways. And again, don't believe it yet. Let me take time to explain this from the scripture. For a start, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 made us understand that we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. We all have a throne in heaven. We are seated right now. And these 24 elders picture, but we are made to understand they are, they are seated in heavenly places. We are seated. They are seated. But again, they were only unveiled after rapture happened. It's an event of what will happen after this world. So they have to be ours. And I'm going to prove that again. Just give me a few minutes. We'll wrap this up on this note. These 24 elders will be you and I after this world. When we get raptured with Christ, we'll be seated. We are literally seated right now in the spirit realm. But literally, we'll be seated and it will be in our sight. When we get to Revelation chapter 5, you understand better. We'll be, it will be in our sight that Jesus will un, unscroll the seal or he will open the seal. It speaks about you and I. 12 is a significant number in the scripture. 12 apostles, 12 disciples. That number 12 is a very significant number. 12 tribes of Israel. So if the Bible says 24 elders, so it, I strongly also believe it's a union between 12 tribe of Israel and then 12 of we, or better still, a union of 12 tribes of the, of the Jews and 12 tribes of the Gentiles coming together in heaven. We are, the, we are, we are, we are I, I strongly believe in this TPT commentary, I strongly want to go with option four. 
It's an actual council of believers. But in fact, the Bible called them elders. Don't you think they are old? <laughs> I've never thought about it. Some of us think they are literal elders. Let me tell you the reason why the Bible represents them with elders. The reason why they are elders is because they are always seated. The reason why they are elders is not because they are over 70 years old. No. They are tagged elders. It's a picture. And the Bible says elders, it's a picture of the fact that they've come to a place of spiritual maturity where they were seated. And again, you will see this again in time to come when we start reading Revelation chapter 5 upward. Because so many events happened on heart. So many, even there was thunder at the point. There was lightning, there was thunder in heaven. But these guys were not moved. They will remain seated. And what does it mean to sit? God wants you to rest and not to stress. Being seated means you're in a state of rest. And the elders were known for this. They were always seated. And it's a picture I strongly believe it's you and I. Another way to back it up that it's going to be you and I is that the Bible says they have crowns. There's a place in the book of Revelations. It says, to him who overcome, I will give the crown of life. What does it mean to overcome? To overcome means you're born again. First John chapter 5, verse 5. It says, who is it that overcomes the world? He will believe Jesus is the Son of God. You are an overcomer. And Jesus will give you crown of life. And these 24 elders have crowns. I strongly believe these are the crowns of life Jesus has given to you and I. Again, to hard to eat again. We, they are robed in Christ, right? They are, they are robed in white garments. These 24 elders are clothed in white garments. It's a picture of Christ's righteousness. And this is what the commentary of TPT talked about. So they were seated. We are seated. It's a picture of believers. Believers are seated in, in Christ. They have crowns. Believers have crowns. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give crown of life. Because Jesus said, I will give, as at Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 4, he has already given us, as at that time. Because it, they are the events that happened after this world. And again, you still don't fully have to believe yet. Of course, I'm taking time to explain these things from scripture. And if you have a contrary opinion, make sure you're bringing from the scripture as well. If you want to disagree, don't disagree based on what you feel. Give me scripture to show me otherwise. Now, again, 24. Can we find 24 in the scripture? Yes. Apart from the book of Revelation, 24. I don't really have enough time after I pop up. Let me give you a reference. Go and read 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 25. David chose two in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. In 1 Chronicles chapter 25, David at the point needed to choose 24 or better, he needed to assign a particular set of people to minister to the Lord. And then David, by the I strongly believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose 24 divisions of people. In, in chapter 24 of First Chronicles, he chose 24 people. In chapter 25, he chose 24 people. And in chapter 25, by the way, it wasn't literal 1, 2, 3, 24. No, he chose 24 divisions of people. So, for example, he segmented people into 24. David segmented people into 24 divisions. And David, you may not understand what it meant, meant then, segmenting people into division of 24. And it happened two times, chapter by chapter. First Chronicles 24, I'm giving you reference. First Chronicles 25, 
David appointed 24 divisions of people to minister unto the Lord. And then in the book of Revelation, the Bible is talking about the fact that there are 24 elders ministering to the Lord, always singing, holy, 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 Lord, your word. I strongly believe that will be you and I. I strongly believe. And I can still prove this again. <laughs> and I'm taking time to give you a reference. And I can still prove this. 12, 12 is 24. There was a woman with an issue of blood. You remember that story? The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And then the day she got her healing was the same day Jesus was on his way to Jairus' daughter, who was 12 years old, and the daughter was sick. 12 years old woman was having issue of blood for 12 years. Forgive me. Woman with issue of blood for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. It's a combination of 24. Now, Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter who was sick for 12 years. I strongly believe it's a picture of Jesus being the union between the, the 12 tribe of Israel, or better still, it's a picture of the older generation and the new generation. And again, 24 comes together. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 tribe of Israel, 12 disciples, 24. It's not talking about literal 24 elders. It's a picture of you and I. One more way to prove this and wrap it up on this note. Let me show you what Revelation chapter 5. We're going to study Revelation chapter 5 in the next session. But let me give you a peep or a hint into it. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. The 24 elders sang a song in heaven. And I think we'll be able to know who they are from the song they sang. Let us see what Revelation chapter 5 says. Revelation chapter 5. And this will be the last scripture by the grace of God I read. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 9 and verse 10. NIV version. Revelation chapter 5. Sorry, let's read KJV. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 9 and verse 10. The Bible says, and they sang a new song, saying, listen to the song the elders were singing. You are worthy to take the scroll. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, listen everybody, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Stop. These 24 elders, one of their punchlines says, you have redeemed us. Who did Jesus redeem? Did Jesus, now they said you have redeemed us with your blood. Who did Jesus redeem with his blood? Who did Jesus redeem with his blood? And okay, Jesus, when you redeem with your blood, where did you redeem us from? They said, You have redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, one, every tongue, every people, and nation. <laughs> this is awesome. Who did Jesus redeem? Are you the redeemed of God? Did Jesus redeem you with his blood? Yes. And when we get to the throne of God and we are singing this, God, you have Jesus, you have redeemed us. Do you think it's something we can sing? Yes. 
Jesus didn't redeem 24 people in heaven. Jesus didn't redeem just, just some creatures in heaven. Jesus redeemed you and I. He shed his blood for you and I. He has redeemed us. At that time, of course, he has redeemed us. He has done it. The gospel is all about what Jesus has done in the past. From the song, I think it's talking about you and I. It's a picture of you and I. To infer that did not exist until after rapture. And it's a division, it's a picture to represent, to signify every division of believers. We are segmented into division because, again, 12 tribes of, of, of the Jews, 12 tribes of, of, for the Gentiles, or better still, 12 tribes of Israel, either 12 tribes of Jews and Gentiles, or either 12 tribes of, um, of Jews, of the Israel, of the whole, um, the 12, for the first 12 tribes represent the whole believers, or the I was speaking about the believers before the cross and the other 12 tribes represent the believers after the cross. But either ways, I want to bring the 12 tribes together. It still speaks about every one of us. One more way to prove it, and then I've tried a couple of ways to prove that it's going to be you and I. One last way. For you to tell me otherwise, you have to give me scriptural reference as well to back your own up. Let me give you one more way to prove this, that this is going to be you and I. That's in Revelation 5, verse 10. Listen, everybody. KJV Revelations 5. After they sang that thou hast redeemed us, the, the 25 that's saying thou hast redeemed us. Verse 10 says in Revelation 5, and hast made us, this is awesome, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. These guys said, God, um, the, Jesus has made them unto God kings and priests. Listen, they have been made kings and priests. They have been made kings and priests. What does this mean? Keep it to heart. So this set of people singing said, the Lamb of God has made them king and priest. This was the exact punchline in the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. Scripture must interpret scripture. Revelations 5.10 and Revelations 1.6 are the same. In Revelation 5.10, the elders are singing, you have made us kings and priests. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, and has made us kings and priests unto the Father. And read Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, the ending part says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then Revelation chapter 5, He's saying, you have redeemed us and you have made unto us kings and priests. I hope you know you are a king and you are a priest unto the Lord. You are not trying to be a king. You are not trying to be a priest. You are a king unto the Lord. You are already made one. So this is talking about you and I. It's a picture of you and I. Every believer who, who we, are, we are represented in 24 elders. It's a picture. It's a symbol. Because we are the redeemed of God. Jesus redeemed us. Hallelujah. And then he has made us kings and priests. Now, lastly, a good picture wraps up seven times. I'm just trying to make you understand the whole scripture is good news. Honestly, isn't it amazing to see that the book of Revelation is not as scary as people make you feel it is? <laughs> of course, we'll get to the scary part. But again, I've already make you, made you understand you won't be on heart when those scary events happens. And that's still good news for you, isn't it? 
The old scripture is all about goodness. Do you, do you love this Jesus? It makes me love this Jesus. Hallelujah. It's been an awesome ride. Let's wrap it up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you because you're such a good God. Thank you for opening our eyes to the truth of your words, even from the book of Revelation. We give you all the praise. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you, everybody listening right now and everybody that will listen, you make us have a rainbow mentality so that we can always remember your covenant that you will never be angry with us. So that you will always remember that you love us with an everlasting love. That you are not mad at us. Rather, you are madly in love with us. Help us to have this mind, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' beautiful name, I be prayed. And like God's people say, Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. It's been an awesome ride. And if you have any questions, of course, you can send in your question either in form of an email or a direct message. If you have my direct contact, or just send us a DM on any of our social media platforms. And if you don't have my email, look for it. It's online. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, and then just follow us on our social media platforms. You can catch up with um, the first session and the fourth session online for free. Click on the link in our bio or just search for Akimika on Google. If you Google my name, it will give you access to over 700 podcasts. You can listen for free. And yeah, in the absence of any other thing, this is Saturday in Vancouver. So I also believe Saturday everywhere. So make sure you have a lovely weekend and God bless you. If you have been blessed by this message, we invite you to partner with us to send the gospel of God's love to all nations. Send us an email on truespiritualitynetwork at gmail.com. You can also follow us on all social media platforms, True Spirituality Network on both Facebook and Instagram, T-Spirituality on Telegram, and Akimika on YouTube. So catch up with all our podcasts, search for Akimika on all major platforms, including Spotify, audio mark and anchor as you feed on god's love for you allow his love to cast out every fear and remember it's not about you it's all about jesus mm-hmm.